Welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today I am happy to present you a Tech Barbecue live special. So, Natalie and I recorded this episode at Tech Barbecue in Copenhagen last week, together with our friends from Startup Media 42. And uh, also, this podcast was broadcast live across the venue into the silent disco headsets that many people wore. I really like this uh, format, and I would love to do it again. So, if you are an event organizer, do consider inviting Alex and James over to organize a podcast stage for you. In this episode, we talked about the governmental involvement into the tech and startup ecosystem across Europe, which is sort of a timely question considering the latest news stories like France's 5 billion commitment to tech companies or Apple's court fight with the European Commission. So here comes the conversation itself. I do hope you like it. Let's listen to it together. Good morning at Tech Barbecue 2019. This is Andrew Degler speaking, the journalist at tech.eu, and we are here at the podcast stage recording a crossover show of uh, the podcast of tech.eu and the uh, startup 42 media. So before we dive into discussing our today's topic, which is the governmental involvement into the startup ecosystem, uh, let's do a short uh, intro round so that we all understand uh, who's around the table. And uh, Natalie, can you start? Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, you'll recognize recognize my voice. I'm Natalie Novick, the research editor of tech.eu. Hi, everybody. You probably won't recognize my voice. I'm not Natalie. I'm Alex Fellman, one half of uh, Startup 42 Media, one of the other hosts uh, of our number of shows. Uh, we have more than one. Love the problem. We have, what's the social innovation one, James? Impact innovation. Impact innovation. So close, right? I mean, just... uh, so close. Uh, we have another one called Danish Game Changers and look out for a couple other shows on the way. And James. Yeah. yeah, and I'm James Digby, one of the other partners at uh, Startup 42 Media, but also by day investor as well. Right. And, and just be, as we get started here, Alex and James, can you tell us a little bit about Startup 42 Media and why you've decided to put on a podcast stage here at Tech Barbecue? Yeah, we really love the whole medium in general. I think, you know, going out and, and having a great conversation and finding great stories from people. And, and I think there's so many ways of you know, going digesting information at this moment in time. But we, what we really want to do is get to the core of someone, of why are they passionate about what they're doing? And that's the red thread that runs throughout the entirety of our shows always. And, you know, it's about finding that core inner belief and why does that person do what they do? No matter what, it, if it's the impact innovation or if it's the love the problem show. And I want to just sort of jump in and add in like how we ended up here. I think we try to very much leverage everything we do across multiple platforms. And I've had the pleasure to be the head of investor relations for Tech Barbecue. And I just basically leveraged that position to get us the opportunity to, to be live and put a stage here. And uh, we really found out about this about two weeks ago. So we've been putting this together super quickly and, and it's come together really nicely. And, and that's just the type of person I'm in, just from my entrepreneurial background, super resourceful and being like, okay, here's something here. What can we do with it? And how can we do something better and more? And, and this became a great opportunity for us. So we said, let's dive in and even though we only had two weeks to do it, we're like, who cares? Like, we, we think it's going to be worth it. And I think it will. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We're, we're at the beginning of this. So we'll see. Talk to us in two days and we'll, <laughs> and we'll tell you how it is. 
So James, you said that you always want to get to the core of whatever person or startup you're talking to. Is that why your shows are always more than an hour long? <laughs> yes, uh, they can also go on for a little bit as well. And sometimes there's slow burners where they really like to share what they're about. <laughs> and we also mess about a sure. lot as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is the first time I record a podcast in this sort of environment, which <laughs> Fantastic. is... Uh, How many yeah. have you done so far? Hmm? How many podcasts have you done before? You've done quite a few, right? So, so we've been... Uh, we've just celebrated the first year after we took over the Tag.eu podcast. So Full year. So, so it was more than 50 episodes uh, that we have done. Oh, so I feel quite privileged right yeah. now. <laughs> this is... Uh, <laughs> but this is this is an amazing uh, setup. A camper van, a caravan uh, <laughs> with uh, with mic set up. And this is perfect because on co at conferences, I always have this issue that uh, you can't actually find a quiet place yes. to record. <laughs> this sound insulation is perfect. Yeah. Well, this morning when we're... Behind the meditation stage and across from the art demonstration stage and the live music was going, we weren't exactly the happiest of people. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, but I, you know, I must, you know, going through having a space where you can go away, you, you can record nice and easy. It's mobile. Technically, we should have it at every event. <laughs> Indeed. Natalie, we should think about uh, just uh, getting a uh, camper van for ourselves and uh, going to go into conference recording our podcast this way as well. This is amazing. Right. It's about time to dive in. And uh, yesterday, Natalie and I recorded a normal episode of our podcast, just the weekly one. And uh, we promised that we will talk a little bit more about the new European Commission, which was uh, just announced recently. And uh, we said the uh, general impression... Can I, can I ask a question sure. as a... I'm going to put this stereotype out as here. As sort of a dumb American, what's so important? What do you mean, sort of. <laughs> what's so important about the European Commission? Well, that's an interesting <laughs> question. That's a. <laughs> I mean, so in this case, what's important is that we are going to see, and we are seeing right now, who exactly are going to be in charge of uh, a bunch of issues that uh, have uh, a lot to do with the with the ecosystem, with tech ecosystem. Can I ask a, another ahead. question as, as someone who doesn't really understand it? In the United States, in, in my opinion, with our, our politics around this stuff, it almost doesn't matter who's elected. Does this actually make a difference or are you just kind of voting on two sides of the same coin? No, I think actually to, to go into it and like from the other side of it, I think, you know, it's actually really important who is the commissioner, who comes in and then takes the lead because I think that also sets the precedent of how that they will act. I think you've seen a spate of a way that they've, they've gone in just recently and it's been the European Union that has led the way in taxation for, for digital assets. For example, international companies based in America that aren't paying the taxes for for the European services that go on. But, so I think but, this but is not really is important. It's is more so that like in the States with the two-party system, and at least in my personal opinion, I more or less see the two parties as, as more or less representing the same interests. Well, and so, so my question here is like with what's going on with the European Commission, like is it the type of thing that no matter who gets in, it's kind of the same people's interests are being pushed? Or are there actually two choices or three choices or however many choices? No, the no. European Commission is quite different than the American political system because it's a supranational institution. Yeah. It, it has governance activities over the entire European Union. So the decisions and the initiatives that are advanced at the commission level have broad impacts. And as James indicated, especially for digital companies and even ones that are headquartered outside of the European Union, there's governance issues about how we do business across the entire Euro bloc uh, with regards to privacy, with regards to how digital services can move across borders. So it is actually really quite a monumental decision, especially because the new president has indicated that 
digital services and digital companies are going to be a, kind of a, a real highlight of this next commission. One thing I actually want to them coming in and trying to level the playing field has to come in and break up a lot of elements at this moment in time. So you saw GDPR come out as kind of laying the groundwork for, for changing some of these bits. And of course, Apple's massive fine. Did anyone else miss this? 15 billion? They had to pay back taxes to the Irish government for? Well, yeah. actually, they're in court this week in Luxembourg to really hash out because Apple is obviously petitioning against that fine. And we won't know the results of that court decision um, for a few months now, but it is quite a monumental decision. Well, again, people like Margarita Vestergaard, a Danish um, politician who represents the, uh, the Danish, of course, aspects. But then she sits as the head of the, the competition commission yeah. at the same time. So she's levied herself gone in, taken this office in the last two years and changed the landscape. So going back to your other question, whoever leads the European Union, who who's it announced that was coming in? Is Ursula von der Leyen from Germany. And what's really unique uh, about that is she's decided to continue um, Vestager's portfolio and actually really? in raising her to vice president and kind of for digital society. So it is quite monumental. So she was made vice president as well. So then you actually have two female leaders in the top position for, I think, for a very, very long time, right? As, well, you said yesterday that it's actually very well balanced, right? A gender balanced. Yeah, there's 14, uh, 14 male commissioners and 13 right. women. So one of, one of, it's, it's really a hallmark of this yeah. new commission. But I think even looking at that, then you, you can see, I think probably a tough line on the larger corporations and seeing how they're using that data and they, they haven't used the data for their own gain. And that's what they've been able to do. The U.S. companies have been able to come in there. International companies, sorry, not U.S. only Alex. Mostly U.S. Okay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Let's be real about it. It, it, Isn't it like US plus Alibaba? More more, more or less. It's like US companies plus Alibaba. But even going into that on the, on the AI side as well, right? And what does this mean for the competition coming in? Like, do we have to then find a way of working with China and using and utilizing Huawei's technologies? And, and does the European Commission enable us to, to come in and say, well, we can do this together? I mean, let alone the US, I saw that the other day that they're struggling to see, well, how do we do this? That we can get the technology, but we're going to have to use Huawei in one way, shape or form. True. But then the technology is there for a reason. I mean, do you build your own? Yeah, it's so tough. One way or the other, this European Commission is probably going to have uh, the toughest uh, tasks at hand, and particularly, of course, in the tech and the digital space. So we see some familiar faces right now. So we uh, we see Margaret Vestager as the Competition Commissioner again, and uh, we see Maria Gabriel taking the innovation portfolio, and she also was in the previous previously was a commissioner. And I, as I said yesterday, I'm a bit skeptical about uh, her in particular because she was one of the people in favor of the copyright directive which i don't think is a good thing but also we are going to Article hear 13. Yeah. yeah so also we're going to hear another name i think uh, pretty often within the next few years and that name is Sylvia Goulard uh, she is uh, a she's a french a uh, woman uh, who has uh, been given the portfolio of internal market officially but uh, there was a great report uh, on euroactive which 
explains why Goulard is actually going to have much more influence on the tech policy. Because, for example, the portfolio she's getting includes what's called DG Connect, and that's mm-hmm. the department that's responsible for the digital single market, right? And uh, yeah. quoting from Euractiv, Goulard is tasked with jointly defining standards for 5G networks and new generation technologies, devising an artificial intelligence strategy, and leading efforts in the implementation of the EU's mm-hmm. digital services act that's i just i mean just a quick on that like how is it expected that this person's gonna be successful like i I feel like that's such a large task to put on one individual as like i don't know i'm gonna call it kpis of just like oh this is the kpis of your job (laughs) here are your three kpis yeah yeah, here are your three kpis you need to go do this and and it just seems like no bonus for you this year (laughs) i'm not i'm not quite sure anyone is uh, like expected to have this finished uh, within uh, within their term but this is like one of the tasks at hand uh, that this part of the commission will have and luckily each of the commissioners commands kind of a quite a broad executive bureaucracy that really helps put some of these actions into motion. And because these are decisions and implementations that happen at a very granular local level at times. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they, they get to kind of set the tone. And that's why their appointment is so important. Can I, can I posit something though, at least for me and something that I'm seeing play out where, where I, I kind of wonder, like, what is the effectiveness and what you're talking about of making these decisions on such a local level where realistically and what you were trying to say before, like, if they do it at a local level, still, if China just decides to do something else, U.S. decides to do something else, to me, these sounds like real global problems or global challenges that we need to come together globally. And any one regional group is is not really going to have enough sway. But that's not going to happen. We we all developed our own nuclear weapons in, in our own little silos, literally. Right. So I think that that's. But, but, but I mean, nuclear nuclear weapons weren't like a global it's a, we're in a global solution to a global problem. Well, and, and that's I, I think this why type of digital the thing supranational is, governance of the EU is able to lead in a way that a domestic government mm-hmm. like the US or Chinese mm-hmm. government can't act. For example, in Europe, you've seen a kind of European-led strategy for ethics and artificial intelligence. And that's something that would have quite a lot of difficulty coming out of a domestic government. But from a supranational standpoint, you're actually able to see real European leadership in this in this space. Is it because you have to have so many different viewpoints coming into one? The U.S. Mm. system has two viewpoints, basically, Mm. one against the other Mm. on every single opinion or every single point. This you have to have that debate across all the member states. Give or take the United Kingdom. <laughs> that's a whole other episode, I'm sure. But I mean, like, ultimately, is that then that's where then the strength and power lies within the European Union. But the thing is, is that too much? Is that going to be too much coming in and, and leveling in some of these big elements of uh, and it kind of stifles the way that the young nimble startups can come in like GDPR kind of kicked the, the teeth of some companies. And then there's a few more laws that come in and article 11 and article 13 trying to make it so that you, you are not, you know, publishing um, copyrighted content, other people's content, but still this kind of it leverages everything towards the big guys again, whilst under a veil of cutting their legs of, of trying to make it level for everyone else. It's it's a really tough way to look at it, and I, you know, 
It's true that we have three very problematic articles in Europe right now. Article 11, Article 13, and Article 15. But I mean, in general, so this is our topic. Why do they make so many articles? Of the day. But this is basically the overarching topic of uh, today's uh, of today's show anyway. So what do we think? What do you guys think? Yeah. The good way for the government, be it the European government or a, a country-level government, to be involved in the startup ecosystem. And uh, you both, uh, uh, James and Alex, you have uh, some background in investment, uh, but also in entrepreneurship. And you both are based here in uh, Denmark. So if we start from the Danish level, what do you think uh, the government is doing and should be doing for uh, for the ecosystem? So for the Danish government, you look yeah, right here yeah. now. For now, yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thankfully, Vestergaard is is working on the biggest, uh, you know, elements and, and not focusing at home. But you know, we saw things like one Krona companies come into effect. So and they took them away. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so one Krona is the equivalent of of like fifty cents, um, where you can set up a company and you can run it. I think it's, even less know, than that. it's like fifteen cents. Yeah, it's uh, it's nothing at all. But beforehand, you had to have five thousand euros to set up a company. Right. And then that money will go into the company bank account and then you could use it, but you needed 5,000 euros to start. That made it really tough. Uh, and we also saw the, the laxling of laws for holding shares within companies, especially potential startup companies. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the big things that have really kind of come through. But you've seen this movement where they've helped push these, these legislations come through that made it easier for entrepreneurship here. Whether it's easy for entrepreneurship in general, but it's just easier to set up a company and get going. I think that's been key for a lot of these people. And that's kind of this switch of, do I get a job or do I create jobs? And people are more willing to create jobs now more than ever because of the things that have been put in place by the government, but also pushed because here we did something which was something quite different where we decided as entrepreneurs to come together and to, to create our own group. We had a horrible hashtag at the time, uh, CBHFTW. Oh yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, one. yeah, I remember sitting around that. Definitely was not my vote, by the way. If you can all recall on that table, <laughs> for, 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 for the record, <laughs> for the record, right? <laughs> and I strongly vetoed against it. That didn't work, but still, I mean, like, um, but that in itself, as a community, getting people together, getting entrepreneurs together, mm-hmm. having successful funds, then giving to to the smaller companies, but also politicians coming to the town halls to hear what we were saying, to hear our discussions of what we needed or what we wanted. For them to take that back to Parliament. That, I think, was kind of the turning points. And one of the things I'm really proud of, of, of being in the Danish society where they listen and they think about what could be done. Sometimes it's too much, but I think that's one of the, the really kind of beautiful things about being here. And what's really special about Denmark is that when politicians are listening, the country is small enough and it can be nimble. So when they, there was a decision to pass a startup visa law, for example, that became kind of an idea to policy in less than four months. This is one of the fastest ones that I've ever seen it's across like the, the world. It's like a bootstrapped sprint. And, and, it, and, and, and that kind of speaks to the both politician and government understanding the needs of entrepreneurial community and also so putting those into action. Yeah. I want to jump with something that I, I think could be something that the government could do to really help out the ecosystem here. Um, I'm dealing with a lot of entrepreneurs, especially ones that are, let's say, more in the, the hardware space. And right now, more or less what's going on with them is a lot of them are being very stifled because basically the cheapest place for them to get hardware is, is China. But you're having massive sort of import taxes from getting stuff from China. 
they're, they're, so they're trying to push them for local manufacturers, which is fine, but they're not sort of giving them subsidies or some way to, to help pay for the local, uh, suppliers. So you're, you're in this sort of catch 22 where if you try to import the stuff that's cheap, you're actually getting taxed on it. So it's, it's quite expensive and you can't really afford the local stuff. And so I think they need to do something around that either. They can go one way or the other is I think, it, you know, if you want to promote the local industries, fine, but, but give some kind of startup subsidy for them to help them get cheap, subsidize some of the parts so they can actually build companies from local suppliers. At the same time, it seems like uh, Denmark has a very uh, good robotics industry, right? So like the hardware industry in general. But that's funded by institutional yes and, no. and educational levels. And a lot right. of that technology, I mean, like if you take the entrepreneur themselves, that yes, they, they, they didn't go through that path, but they're on their own. They're going to find it tough. Yeah, I think you're right. I, 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 was, I was going to say is, is actually what you tend to find here, what I tend to see is, is in the really early stages, there's a lot of like public money. And that's where there's a lot of public money for, let's say, the researchers into things like robotics and, and to get your initial start, there's a lot of money. But if you actually like needed to build a robotics product, mm-hmm. it would get very hard and it would be very, very hard to get good suppliers and it would be very expensive. And there's like a real push from like a trade level of, of trying to get like local suppliers. However, for the startups, like, like you can't really afford local suppliers because it's, I don't know how much expensive on the top of my head. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me. It's but, a good two times more. I think we did it. I think it might be even more, depending on, depending on what you're doing in the type of part, it's probably two to four or five times more as a startup. Like, I mean, you can't really afford that, but, th- but then if you try to go to China, they bring it in, they tax you to the point where it's about the same. And so you're kind of in this catch 22 of everything's really expensive to get going to get your, you know, your MVPs and your prototypes and, and so on and so forth. And at least from what I've seen from some of the other countries, and as far as I know, I don't think they really have that here. A lot of other countries do a lot of sort of R and D subsidies and, and, and this kind of stuff. And I think those types of things, like I think France is a really big one as an example. I think Denmark would really benefit from, from those types of things where we're starting yeah. to get some of these, these funds back and, and, or they can get subsidized for, uh, for making it. I don't know. I'm, I'm from the States and, you know, we, we subsidize all kinds of stuff. And honestly, generally, I'm and yet don't collect any taxes. I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> and look at the healthcare system. <laughs> no, but I, you know, just jumping into that, is that, is that an EU thing or is that a Danish thing? So does, should that happen from the Danish government or should that happen on a, on an EU directive or should the Danish government just be more clear about what are the tax benefits you can go for? Like there are a host of other things. Like, you know, if you drive in your car every, or you travel to, for work, for anything, you get th- something like three krona 75, four krona for every, that's 50p, for every kilometer that you do. Anything, these little bits, are, is that what needs to be done or how do you see that? I mean, I, I'm looking at more of like the product development point of view because I think that that becomes really important, really difficult, especially for deep tech companies. And I, I do agree with you that the more, the way that I see what you're talking about is a little bit more like, what are the benefits of being an entrepreneur? And I think certain those things that would make people like more comfortable with being an entrepreneur when you start to realize like, oh, like if I'm a personal business, all these things are, are like tax deductible. That means that actually, you know, I mean, not to say that I'm promoting using your personal expenses or whatever, but, but you start. You should to, never do that, by the way. You should never do that, right? Uh, that, 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 that might be a tax problem. That's, but, how, we, that's not how we're going to get sued, by the way. That's oh, yeah. By the way, don't listen to any of my financial advice. It's probably very bad. But um, anyways, if you're doing things that are remotely business related and you have a business, you know, if you're doing it between your nine to five, probably your lunches are going to be considered something that's necessary. Your traveling is going to be considered something that's yeah. necessary and you can get the, the tax rebates on that. And, and that could probably be better communicated because I, I honestly think in most places of the world, being an entrepreneur is, is a really great thing. And, and most people see it as 
as this huge risk, but but I, I think it's a lot risk less risky if you knew all the different benefits that were going yeah, on. Right. Okay. So fr- from hands on to something maybe more overarching, Natalie, I wanted to ask you as the ecosystem researcher in the room, what's good and what's bad about uh, the government, be it the European government or country government? Uh, given a lot of money to invest in startups like uh, France just did or whatever mm-hmm. we heard before. What do you think? Right. So there are a number of different critiques on this. Um, one of them comes from the fact that does government really understand what are some of the best startups to be investing in? Is that mm-hmm. really government's job to be investing in startups? But then you see different sorts of initiatives such as you have in Portugal and in Germany that try to fund very early, early stage companies and just kind of put some liquidity in the ecosystem and give kind of everyone somewhat of a baseline to get started. Um, and I think those in- initiatives are quite different from what you see in Poland, where there's been quite a significant cash influx for startups from the government side and mm-hmm. from the community output there's some critique of was this the right thing to do for sure no we saw it so i did a lot of work in southeast asia malaysia is a good example of that where the it came from the top down a lot of money came in not only at the early early stage which i think is actually really really critical to get things going but at the later stages when they should be validating their ideas they should be executing they should be successful but they're living on handouts and they're living on grant to grant to grant because they know that that process is in place. And then you see the ecosystems take two, three, four, five steps back, I think. Mm-hmm. And it takes too long to, to get up. I mean, that's, I think, one of the things that I, I see here sometimes as well is, is I like to call them sort of zombie companies. Is It's just basically these companies, like you're saying, that that wouldn't exist if there wasn't just sort of government money being funded into them all the time. Um, and it, it, I'm a big believer in like business fundamentals and then getting sales and like, you need to provide value to your customers and all these things. And at some point, like, if you're not doing that, I have to say that you, you should probably fail. Yeah. Like at, at some point okay. you should probably yeah. fail. Like if, if you're not at, at some point, like if the customer doesn't want what you're selling and you can't figure out how to do it, like That's you, it. Need, you need to be doing something else. Um, but with kind of what you're saying, like with these grants and stuff, like these companies can kind of just stay alive but not really do anything so that's why i kind of call them zombie companies because it's just sort of is there a balance that we can have in between of where there is that litmus but government shouldn't i think have the acumen to make these investments yeah and you can see why these decisions are politically popular because it looks like we are doing something positive to support an entrepreneurial ecosystem it looks like we're supporting innovation um it's it's something that's very tangible and also the entrepreneurial community in a lot of ways i mean living and working in a zombie company um, funded by the government maybe not be the worst thing than facing the hard reality of failure. So that's why these policies will continue to proliferate until we have an ecosystem that's able to communicate the needs, especially what we saw, we saw here, for example. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is, is to me, I, I almost see it as almost like a conservative backed form of welfare because it just essentially it's like tech is hot and popular but we don't really want to like give people money but like, so let's just fund jobs and zombie startups mm-hmm. and it'll be just like we gave them money but but it, it, it sounds much nicer and we can like sell that much easier yeah. it's easier to swallow and just, you know it's like a jobs program basically yeah. but but we're basically just subsidizing a bunch of people and, and no. keeping them off the streets and, and i'm really so. scared of that actually i mean yeah. as an impact investor and seeing the the impact uh, angle come and proliferate every single aspect of our lives now. Mm-hmm. Like, how 
are we going to have the next generation of impact companies coming through? Mm-hmm. Are they just going to live on these grants and handouts because they can do and they will be able to easily what does that mean? Does everyone look at an impact company and go, oh, they're not going to make any money. They're just doing this for this small community here. And I think that, yeah, that's my big bandwagon, which I'll get into a whole other show for. It's okay. <laughs> so, so what's actually a more positive way of deploying these public funds is if they are funding, uh, fund of funds or super funds yeah. are also put through um, VCs. And that's what you're seeing, especially at the EIF is doing. And also Emmanuel Macron um, yesterday has announced a new 5 billion package um, that will be funding later stage companies um, in France. And that is a, a, it's a a really kind of innovative, a new thinking from France is really in a lot of ways has taken a very um, forward approach in supporting their tech ecosystem and has spent a lot of time really trying to understand the needs of their entrepreneurs and understand the choke points in their own political system when it comes to developing high growth companies. And this is a, I think a very exciting invest, uh, introduction from France. Is it France that's leading the way? Because, you know, they built station F as a, as a way and brought in someone like Roxanne Vaza to really supercharge the entire community and ecosystem. And I think, you know, Roxanne, yes, she has French ties, but still an outsider coming in and, and really changing and charging that up. They believe they did. They put the belief in this could happen. And, and I think that they've, they've done it in the best way possible. So we really can't deny the impact of Xavier Neal, um, who really got Station F going and really put a lot of the funding forward to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But what you see really uniquely there is it's created a destination and it's created a home and it's also shifted the narrative about what kind of values and things we want to proliferate in our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It's supported um, diverse companies, supported impact companies. It's saying, you know, there is a room for all of these types of firms at the table and it's created an opportunity for that. And I think that's something that's very transformational in France. Yeah. And this is a, a really long long time coming. Yeah. And it's really interesting that out of those 5 billion, 3 billion are for investments in listed companies, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, so startup investments. So, 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 so yeah, this is, uh, so this is build uh, a, so a innovation startup, but still. Much more for them. Yeah, exactly. Then, then again, governments, when they look at it, where is innovation lying? Is it these top companies with the Davids or, or the Goliaths or is it with the Davids? Mm-hmm. It's a real tough kind of balance, which I don't think four of us can, yeah. <laughs> can decide. Yeah. But. I still, I would defend grants also a tiny little bit, like for, on the, on the example of uh, SME instrument grants, uh, right? So we, this is how we got those sort of really early stage uh, 50k uh, grants. And I do understand the premise they are coming from, right? So they want to fund companies that for, for whom it is harder to find uh, funding who work in some particular industries where there is not, not that much money industries uh, in which it would take longer to uh, get funding or to get profitable or to get any revenue at all. So we can't just say that uh, like we should not give money, period. It's not yeah. it's, it's, it's not the right approach either. Getting that balance is really important yeah. because especially if we're talking about deep tech or health tech or these kind of really innovative technologies that come usually out of university research that do take quite a lot of time and yeah. Also, VCs and traditional investors in Europe don't necessarily have the knowledge or understanding to be able to evaluate these companies in the way that they need to be. So that's why the SME instrument is so important that we have this balance. I want to jump in and, and propose something that I think is, is, is a different model that you're not seeing out of governments, but I think has been highly successful through innovation, which is essentially the bounty model. And I'd be really interested to see the more bounty governments taking up the bounty model. And if, if people aren't really aware of that, it's something like the X Prize. 
And I, yeah. and, I, and I think if you see things like the X Prize and, and where you basically say like, okay, we have this challenge or goal or whatever, and we're going to say, if you can solve it or have the best proposal or whatever to do it, we're going to give you a lot of money. And, and I, I think in what you tend to see out of that is, is way more resources actually go into yeah. getting, making it happen. But then also you can really see like, okay, what is the cream of the crop here? And then give them a whole bunch of money to, to continue. On top of that as well. Yeah. Uh, top, so you can actually spread it out a little bit more, see the different projects working and then say, actually, these are the ones when, that, that fit the bill best. Yeah. And, and I would, I'd really like to see more governments trying to do these kind of bounty style yeah. programs. Cause I think that would be a really interesting way to do it. And it, it, I think it would also, you'd start to see more stakeholders put some money into it. You'd start to get, you know, teams would probably start to approach other stakeholders in the ecosystem to get yeah. them to, to, to support these, you know, we're, we're doing a, I don't know, a, a Danish prize on clean air, blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> I, so someone might go to. I mean, we're seeing it on the corporate level though, aren't we? Like, uh, corporates have their challenges and uh, they are very happy to, uh, pay you to startups that can, uh, solve the things, right? But I think yeah. it's a great idea. And it's also some, a space where it makes us take especially impact companies yeah. seriously because they are serious companies and having, um, kind of developing this bounty makes people think creatively about impact. Actually, I've been working on a project with some NGOs here in Denmark on this particular thing, actually. So I'm glad you mentioned it, Alex. That's really nice of you. Lead in. <laughs> no. There we go. But I mean, look, we're, we're build, looking to build the same prospect where we can develop these prizes or these challenges where people can go towards. I think one of the fundamental problems was that you didn't know as a startup what you needed to solve, what the real issues were out and about. And I think that's where then governments could come in and kind of play that, that game a little bit better and say, actually, do you know what? If you come together, We'll give you this money and we'll make this work for you as well. And, and I think that's where then the grant systems and, but these, they've got to have these mechanisms in, in place. Otherwise it's just free willy nilly money that creates these zombie companies. Absolutely. Okay. So I think this is all that we have time for uh, today in this uh, particular segment. So. Alex, uh, James, thank you so much for inviting us into this uh, perfect, uh, perfectly quiet <laughs> van. My <laughs> <Our> pleasure. <laughs> uh, always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, good luck uh, with the rest of Tech Barbecue. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. This was great. Appreciate being on the show. So that's it for today's live episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and make us a bit happier. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andre at TechEU and Natalie at TechEU. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.